0: Let's keep reading. Oh, I should mention this too. We're talking about his, his fight against idolatry. Notice all that's entailed in that. Not only did he remove the high places, he broke the sacred pillars. Th- those were the, the symbols of the male deities that they would worship. And he tore down the wooden image or, or the Asherah poles. Those were the symbols of the female deities. But there's an interesting little line here at the end. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent. This is the first time we've seen anything about this in first and Second Kings. And what story is this taking us back to? Yeah, this has taken us hundreds of years back to uh, numbers 21 in the days of Moses. Do you remember that story where Israel begins to grumble against Moses? and even worse, they're really grumbling against God? Because God is the one who had saved them when they were miserable slaves in Egypt and God had brought them out and God had spoke to them. And here they are and they begin to grumble against God. They don't like where they are. They don't like how God's led them. They don't like the food that God's giving them. So this is no small sin. And so God judges them for that sin. And how did God judge them? He judged them by sending an infestation of poisonous snakes in the camp and it's bite we're told felt like fire and it's a lethal bite and so Israelites around the camp are dropping like flies until they finally went to Moses and said look we've sinned against God please intercede on our behalf and Moses prays and God tells Moses to do something very strange he tells Moses to construct a bronze serpent and to put that serpent on a pole and to tell the people that if they get bitten, they're to lift their eyes and look up at that serpent on the pole. And if they would do that, God would heal the lethality of that serpent bite. Because that sounds strange, right? God's not, God doesn't remove the snakes. God doesn't, um, he doesn't send heavenly snake bite kits. He tells them to look up at this serpent on a pole. And when they looked at that serpent on the pole, what were they seeing? They were seeing this serpent that was a reminder of their sin and the consequences of their sin and the curse that their sin had brought. And the promise was just trust. The remedy that God's provided for you will be enough. And it happened. They looked on the serpent. I guess you could say it happened for those who looked. Those who didn't look died. Those who looked were healed. And that's a story that gets transported to the New Testament. who, Who refers to that story in the New Testament? Jesus does do you remember Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus where Jesus refers to numbers 21 and says just like Moses Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness So must the Son of man be lifted up so that those who believe in him will not perish But have everlasting life Jesus is saying uh, that that we're I guess you could say we're in the same position the Israelites were we're in we have we have poison coursing through our veins We've been bitten by this serpent of sin and it's lethal. We're condemned and we're doomed because of it, and none of our none of our homemade remedies will work. There's nothing we can do to cure ourselves. But the Son of Man would be lifted up so that all who look to him in faith would be saved. And just to keep that connection, when we look at Christ lifted up, what are we seeing? When Israel looked at the serpent on the pole, they were seeing this reminder of their sin, the consequences that their sin had brought, the curse that their sin had carried with it. When we look at Christ on the cross, what are we seeing? We're seeing this picture of the consequences of our sin. We're seeing the curse that our sin brings with it, hanging on Christ in our place. Okay, so what we're finding out now is that that serpent that God had had Moses construct hundreds of years earlier, the Israelites have kept it all of these years. And what have they done with it? They've turned it into an image. They've turned it into an idol, so that they're burning incense before this bronze serpent, this good thing that God had given him. It's a good reminder that you and I have the ability to take good things and turn them into God things. The bronze serpent was a good thing God had given them to teach them a fantastic lesson, and they've turned it into an idol. Because there's this, um, there's a propensity in our hearts that we want tangible things for worship. We want visible things, things we can look at and touch and handle. A, A great example of this would be it's everywhere in Roman Catholicism. They have all sorts of sacred things. That they look to that you get grace from visiting that you can give veneration to in in martin luther's day you received all sorts of indulgences time off your time in purgatory if you would go see all of these sacred items it might be um it might be the fingernails of thomas or the bones of joseph or uh, hay from the manger of jesus and all of these items in fact uh, martin luther said that there were so many churches in his day that claimed to have splinters from jesus's cross that if you gathered all the splinters together, you would have enough wood to rebuild Noah's Ark. Because right? you can imagine, if you're valuing these things, that everybody claims to have something, one of these sacred objects. Right? But, but that's the problem in our hearts, is we want something visible. But God doesn't allow that. This is the point of the second commandment. Don't burn candles in front of your little statue. And and don't think that you need to have your devotion in front of a painting of Jesus. That doesn't help you know God. That actually distorts your understanding of God. And so what what happens here is King Hezekiah gets this bronze serpent that they've turned to an idol. And he smashes it into a million pieces. So this is a king who's committed to getting rid of the idolatry in the land. Keep reading verses 5 and 6. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, He did not depart from following Him, but kept His commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. So what is, is the main virtue that's being highlighted here about King Hezekiah? He trusted. In the Lord, like none of the other kings who had gone before him or after him. So the virtue that's being highlighted is, this is a king of deep, genuine faith. Okay, but faith is an internal thing. How does faith show up? How did it show up in King Hezekiah's life? Well, two ways. He held fast to the lord this is this is actually the same word that's used in genesis 2 Do you know when it describes a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife this is the same word that's being used of hezekiah here hezekiah clung to the lord he tenaciously clung to the lord and he followed his commandments what does that mean he obeyed the lord This is what we consistently get in the Bible, right? What is one of the primary ways that genuine faith shows up? Obedience. The the way Jesus would say it is, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So here's a king who has faith, he clings to the Lord even in hardship, and he is devoted to following the Lord's commandments. Keep reading. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. Do you see this phrase right here? The Lord was with him. That phrase is only used of one other Old Testament king, King David. So it's like the narrator is intentionally wanting to say to us, here's a king in the pattern of David. There's another connection. What's the main enemy that David is known for fighting against and defeating? The Philistines. Who did King Hezekiah fight against and defeat? The Philistines. So it's making all these connections to say to us, here's another godly king. Here's another king in the line of David. And there's one other thing that Hezekiah did in his faith. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. Remember now, Assyria is the superpower of the day. They're crushing everybody who stands in their way. But during Hezekiah's reign, there was some unrest in Assyria. Do you remember how we've said before that these ancient uh, kingdoms would sometimes go a little sideways when there was a leadership transition? Well, that's what happened in Assyria during Hezekiah's day. The the kingdom transitioned from one king to a king named Sennacherib. And when Sennacherib became king, rebellions broke out all over Assyria. And so Sennacherib has to spend a lot of time trying to subdue Babylon. And while he's fighting against Babylon, Judah and all the nations, these tiny little nations around Judah, decided it was time for them to rebel. They're not going to keep paying tribute. They're not going to be under Assyria's thumb anymore anymore. But the author is going to remind us that this was dangerous business. Because what had just happened to their brothers and sisters to the north when they rebelled against Assyria? They had just been destroyed. And that's what he points out in the next verses. Look at verse 9. He's going to remind us of what happened to the north. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, Hosea the son of Elah, king of Israel, so that's the northern empire that Shalmaneser, that was the king before the one I just mentioned, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel captive to Syria and put them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozen, and in the cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. And they would neither hear nor do them. He's reminding us of what had just happened to the north and Hezekiah had witnessed all of that. So Hezekiah is showing some courage to now decide that in the south they're going to rebel against Assyria. Okay, but remember, Hezekiah is a man, we were just told, who had faith like no other king who's gone before him. That's a good thing. Okay, but here's the, let me mention this, and then we'll wrap it up. So here's a king who has faith like no other king, but there's gonna be two surprises, two main surprises that are gonna surface over these next few chapters. Here's a king with unparalleled faith, but what you're gonna find is, even this king of super strong faith still had times when his faith wobbled. It's a reminder to us that even even the strongest of faith has weak points. Because strong faith still resides in a fallen heart. So you and I are never going to reach the point where we can go, I think I got this faith thing licked. I think I got it figured out now. Where our faith doesn't have to be strengthened and our faith doesn't have to be tended to. Never. Never. We will always be prone to wonder. So having strong faith is not going to save Hezekiah from internal struggles. Nor is having strong faith going to protect Hezekiah from external struggles. That's going to be another thing that's going to really come to the surface over these next few chapters. So here's a king who's doing right. It is right that he rebel against Assyria. It is always a bad thing in the Old Testament when Israel is being subdued by some godless pagan nation. It is right that he's doing this. It is right that he trusts the Lord. It is right that he has a strong faith. And yet, this king of strong faith, Assyria, is going to invade and start running roughshod over the land of Judah. So in spite of his strong faith, he's going to be assaulted by Assyria. That's going to be another important point. It's a reminder that faith does not work like, like some spiritual rabbit's foot. Where if you just read, and if you just pray, and if you just go to church enough, and if you just trust enough, that'll put some kind of spiritual force field around your life, and no bad thing will ever be able to penetrate. That's, if that's your view of the Christian faith, you'll become very, very disillusioned in your Christian walk. Because that's not how faith works. Faith is not... Uh, It's not a vaccine, where if you take it, you'll be immunized against any hard thing happening in your life. It's not what Christianity is. We are trusting, we're trusting in a sovereign God whose sovereign plan often includes hard things in our lives. We're trusting in a sovereign God whose sovereign plan often includes hard things and we're, we're assured those hard things are ultimately for our good and for his glory. Okay, that's what faith is. So faith does not keep us from internal struggles. There will be those. Nor does faith keep us from external struggles. And we'll see both of those things come to the surface for Hezekiah. But we're going to have to stop there tonight. So that, that is our introduction to King Hezekiah. So we'll pick up next week and see the first real challenge that King Hezekiah faced. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us. Man, I hit it right almost on the nose. All right, I'm proud of myself. Let's pray, and we'll take a minute, then we'll shift our time of business. Lord, we are thankful for this night. Lord, we're thankful for examples like Hezekiah. God, I pray that, that we would see in this a positive example of faith, a positive example of courage to stand and do what's right and trust you, even Even when the odds are high, even when the opposition is strong, I pray that we would have that kind of resilient faith. And I do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have some uh, misguided notion of faith, Lord, that we would be aware that we do have hearts that are prone to wonder. Help us never lose sight of that. Help us never have some distorted understanding as if trust keeps us from hardship. Help us learn to trust you even in the hardship. And so, Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.